Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to the newest episode of the Conversations Podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Whether you've been with us for all of our conversations or if this is your first time listening, thank you for listening. We are so happy that you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and to Owens Community College. Be sure to listen to our previous programs and subscribe to Conversations to join us for future episodes. Today, we are in for a treat. We are welcoming two guests from the city of Toledo, Mayor Wade Kapsikavich and Director of the Department of Housing and Community Development, Rosalind Clemens. Mayor Kapsikavich and Director Clemens have been strong supporters of Owens, and we're so happy to have them with us today. I will first introduce Mayor Kapsikavich, who was born in San Diego, but came to Toledo the following year, so we consider him a native. He began his first term in office in 2018, and was elected to his second term in 2021. Mayor Kapsikavich received a bachelor's degree in journalism and political science from Marquette University in 1994, and he was named the valedictorian of the College of Communication, Journalism, and Performing Arts. He received his master's degree in public policy from the University of Michigan in 1996. Prior to his election to mayor, he was Lucas County Treasurer, a Toledo City Council member, and a member of the Lucas County Board of Education. Mayor Kapsikavich also served as a policy analyst and research director of the New Ohio Institute, manager of planning and development at the Lucas County Mental Health Board, and he also worked at Compass, a social service agency that works with people with drug and alcohol addictions. He taught a course in urban policy as an adjunct faculty member at Lourdes University, and I'm very happy to share that he once taught a course in American government here at Owens Community College. Mayor Kapsikavich was recognized in 2006 as a 20 under 40 by Leadership Toledo. In 2010, ESOP gave him its Above and Beyond Award, and in 2012, he was honored by ESOP again, this time earning its Rooted in ESOP Award. The Toledo City Paper named him one of its Big Idea Toledoans in 2014 for his work creating and leading the Lucas County Land Bank, and again in 2018 for his commitment to pursue an ambitious agenda as mayor. In 2021, the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition awarded the mayor with its Global Statesman Award for his advocacy, and in 2022, he was selected to participate in the Bloomberg Harvard City Leadership Initiative's sixth class of mayors. Toledo's Director of Housing and Community Development, Rosalind Clemens, is from Prince George's County, Maryland, and moved to Toledo in October of 2019. She holds a master's degree in economics from American University and a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Maryland. She has also completed National Development Council certification in housing and economic development finance. Prior to her current position, Rosalind Clemens served as the Senior Manager for Redevelopment and Revitalization at the Redevelopment Authority of Prince George's County. Throughout her more than 25 years of public service, she has demonstrated a passion for building wealth in underserved communities and facilitating efficient government operations. Throughout her career, she has received numerous awards, culminating with the United Communities Against Poverty and the 2018 Neighborhood Impact Award for Community Changing Initiatives in Prince George's County. Mayor Kapsikavich and Director Clemens, welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I am so thrilled to have you both here with me. The city of Toledo really has been partners with Owens Community College, and so to have both of you here is symbolic of what it is we get to do together in terms of education and economic development, workforce development, all the things that are important for a thriving city and region. And so I'm thrilled that both of you are here with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for the, the invitation and 
Yeah, you're right. The history of uh, Owens can't be told without the history of Toledo. It's uh, Michael Owens um, lends his name to this institution, and he was one of the great early glass pioneers uh, that helped make Toledo the glass city. He's uh, buried in Calvary Cemetery, maybe a mile from my uh, my home. And uh, if you've ever been to that cemetery, you, you drive in, and Michael Owens is there to the right, and he's right across the plot from... Um, uh, Michael DeSalle, the person that our government building is named after. Uh, so I'm not saying this is important trivia, but I'm just telling you. That, uh, uh, at any rate, so thank you for the invite. Well, one of the things that I know about past conversations with Mayor Kapsikavich is that, one, he loves trivia, and two, he likes education and history in particular. And so as we talk about education, I will ask both of you, but since we're on a roll here, you attended Marquette University. Um, You're a valedictorian in the College of Communication, Journalism, and Performing Arts. And so can you talk a little bit about your experience at Marquette and kind of how it really kind of set the stage for for you professionally? Sure. I mean, education has always been uh, really important to me. I mean, I come from a family of of teachers, really. Uh, My mom uh, was a teacher. my dad is one of six kids. Five of his siblings were teachers, and he has a degree in education. But for a, uh, any one of a number of reasons, uh, life evolved a little differently. He ended up uh, being a Toledo police officer. But I was just surrounded by teachers growing up. And uh, Marquette, the education I received there was excellent. I will say that it it wasn't necessarily the top of my list coming out of high school. I applied to a number of places. I just, I was fortunate. I, you know, got good grades in high school. I did really well on, you know, the ACT and the SAT. So I ended up with a full academic scholarship. And so I, I suppose the price was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, just, I couldn't beat zero dollars and zero cents. So I actually went to Marquette, not with some reluctance, but it wasn't, it was kind of middle of the list. And and just like so many things in life, now I can't imagine having gone anywhere else, the the experiences and the friendships that you make there. And in this case, to most directly answer your question, I I met someone there who totally changed my life and my direction once again. Mm -hmm. It was an educator. I mean, this this is uh, an ode to teachers. Yes, Mm -hmm. next to your parents, in my judgment, no one influences you the way a teacher does. And certainly, in my case, that's true. When I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. Uh-huh. Actually, I wasn't sure, you know, either somewhere between the New York Times or the uh, Sports Illustrated. I wasn't sure <laughs> why, but I definitely Very wa- similar wanted to be a writer. And <laughs> I had to take uh, an intro to political science course mm-hmm. um, just to satisfy a core requirement for my journalism degree. I had never taken political science in high school to the extent the word science was in the course title. I'm pretty sure I wasn't going to like it, mm-hmm. uh, but I had to take it. And sometimes life just presents people to you. Um, the professor was a Catholic priest. Now, Marquette mm-hmm. is a Jesuit school up there in Milwaukee, so it's not altogether unusual that you would have a, a professor who was a uh, man of the cloth, as it were. Mm-hmm. But this gentleman, who is still with us, though now getting up in age a little bit, um, his name Father Tim O'Brien, was just a, and still is, a real charismatic person that made the subject matter fun and engaging. You know, he would talk about changing the world. And mm-hmm. I didn't, maybe I didn't realize at the time, but looking back, 
you know, he was of a certain age and he was Irish and Catholic. I'm sure he was inspired by the Kennedys and the Peace Corps and some of that more hopeful aspirations for what politics could be. It's we look back on this era wistfully now, now that we've become cynical and jaded and people understandably don't like uh, government as much. He always would say that um, if you get involved in public life for the right reasons, you can really make a difference. And that, you know, hey, there's people in this world that can help, uh, you know, millions of homeless people at once and millions of poor people at once and hunger, hunger all the things that sort of the gospels talked about. What do we call those people? We call them mayor. We call them governor. We call them senator. And I mean, to a 17-year-old from Toledo, Ohio, sitting in the front row, I mean, that was an inspiring message. And so Mm -hmm. generally, I, you know, I began to change my interest, picked up a double major, and kind of just my life started moving a different direction. I kept touch with him over the years. Mm -hmm. When I got married, uh, we brought him to town to marry my wife and I. I still keep in touch with him. So I do say, uh, first of all, Whenever I screw something up as mayor, there is a Catholic priest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to blame. It's all his fault. (laughs) But I do also emphasize the story, make the point that teachers have such – have the ability to be such a powerful influence on your life if you just avail yourself to their lessons. So that's my story. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think all three of us agree that education is hugely important. And Director Clemens, you attended the University of Maryland. Um, and so can you talk about your decision to go there and, and and studying economics and how that propelled you into your career? Well, my decision was, and that's why I'm so passionate about education and the, the community college experience, my decision was a way out of poverty. Mm-hmm. I grew up one of four girls, single mom, Mm -hmm. and um, I remember her working 12 hours. She was a nurse, and she worked 12-hour shifts and um, left us at home. We had to fend for ourselves. And it was a given in our household that you had to go to college. You had to go to college. And um, I went to Montgomery Blair High School in in Silver Spring, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And in those days, if you lived in the in-state and your parents paid taxes in-state, you automatically got admission to the University of Maryland. It Mm -hmm. was, it was, College Park is now the flagship campus of the University of Maryland, but you automatically got a place in the university. So, um, when I graduated, I was automatically admitted, and I, I never forget this. I always tell people, my tuition was $362 a semester. <laughs> if you took 12 credit hours or more, mm-hmm. that's how much you paid. And my mom said, you're not living on campus because you can take the bus to school. You're uh-huh. not, so, and you got to pay three, three, $362 a mm-hmm. semester. And... I was literally thrown out of the nest. I had to, I had to find my way to school every day. I had to find my um, my tuition. Mm-hmm. And I got a job, and I had to do all of this while going to University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it was a great experience. It, the College Park campus was very diverse. Mm-hmm. It was a way I met a lot of people. How did I get on economics? I was always interested in what made some people poor and what made some people rich. Mm-hmm. And um, economics was my major and government was my was my minor. 
I didn't like calculus very much. I, I barely made a C. I didn't like regression analysis very much. I managed to graduate uh -huh. and um, actually from the University of Maryland uh, University College, which was the evening school. I mm -hmm. went to the day school for three years, and then my last year, I had to work full-time. I had to work full-time, so I, I graduated um, uh, from the university college. So for me, it was, it was a way out of poverty. It was a way to go one step further than my mom was able to take us. And um, it was a given, you had to go. It wasn't, a, I had no options as far as applying to Harvard or applying somewhere else or, or, or it was just my path, and it was a path that was given to me because I was an in-state. I was an in-state student. My graduate experience was a lot different. Um, I got my master's from American University in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. Very diverse university, students from all over the world. And um, at that time, on the other extreme in terms of expenses and how oh, it was very much very so. much so i think it when i went there was it was two something per credit mm -hmm. per credit hour not and for the whole load not mm -hmm. for the whole load and how was i able to do that i got a job as a clerk full time i was a clerk working in the office of public administration working for the dean I worked during the day, and I went to school at night. I couldn't have gone to that school if I wasn't uh, getting to tuition remission. So again, it was I had to work all my college uh, and, and, and master's degree, but it was a wonderful experience. The, the uh, students from all over the world, uh, the Middle East, China, all over Africa, I would say it was just, it, it broadened my, my um horizon in terms of meeting people from all over the world. And um, my master's thesis was the effect of PL 480 wheat sales on wheat production in Egypt. That's what I did. That's what I, so, well, you too? That's what I did my master's thesis. We did the same thing. That's what I did my master's thesis on. I was, I was interested in this issue of the United States exporting surplus agricultural mm -hmm. products to third world countries and the impact that that had on on um, on food production in right. these countries. And, and Egypt received a lot of PL 480 wheat. So that's what I did my master's on. Well, you know, and I'm so glad you explained the backstory on that because that is not a typical city girl uh, exactly. master's thesis topic. Exactly. But, you, but again, you were exposed to people from all over the world, mm -hmm. people that had that were uh, uh, here in the United States for the opportunity, mm -hmm. talked about the problems on their economy, that, that some of them blamed the United States. So we were always mm -hmm. in these types of dialogues. And, and I, I, I think it's really, it was a wonderful experience. It really was. So that's my didn't have a priest to guide me, but I think that my my, uh, my exposure. No, but you got. I no, but you, you just. I just learned. I just learned something about Ross that you did get to go to a high school named in honor of Montgomery Blair, uh -huh. who probably not a lot of people know about. But um, Montgomery Blair was in Abraham Lincoln's cabinet. Was mm -hmm. he? So if you know, uh, my favorite historian is uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. I think I've read just about all of her. But and so she wrote the book Team of Rivals a couple of years, about ten years ago. They got 
turned into the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so Montgomery Blair was part of that team of rivals where Lincoln put together a, a cabinet of folks who didn't always agree with him, you know, folks who were political opponents of his and William Seward and Salmon Chase and Edward Stanton. But Montgomery Blair was one of me. Now, he was a position that wouldn't be considered the cabinet. He was the postmaster general of the United States. But at that time, when you think of how important mail was and you know, Union soldiers getting pay, paid through the mail. I mean, that was a very that powerful position. So I, now I know you well, went to also, his Yeah, high a school. lot of places named after him in that mm-hmm. Silver Spring. Maryland. Well, he was from Maryland. Yeah. No, he was yeah. a politician. He was a house in. Yeah, sure, the, the, sure. He was a powerful, but he was in Lincoln's. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, yeah. see you, you. You come all the way to the Owens campus and <laughs> you, you learn about your coworkers. <laughs> but I mean. There's so many themes, though, about the power of education and having important people who are important in your life or become important in your life help guide you in your experience. And I think it really comes back, a lot of it, to higher education as a public good because when you think about how both of your educations helped shape who you are as individuals in your career and how your careers are helping shape the city and the region. It's hugely important to to think about it. And so your master's was at American. Mayor Kapsikavich, would you like to talk about your path to your master's? Yeah, it's uh, unusual for a couple of ways. First of all, um, uh, it was a, I get my master's from the University of Michigan, which I feel uh, compelled to say since we are on the Mason-Dixon line of that particular football rivalry, <laughs> that though I have a master's from the University of Michigan, I am a huge Ohio State football fan. And so I that's an important clarification. Depending on what room I'm working, I can play, I can accurately <laughs> emphasize both uh, parts of my character. Um, but really, what I tell you what happened there, it, it was the influence, uh, you know, that began with Father O'Brien. But I really at that point, I was, uh, I had become so convinced that getting involved in government and, and elected uh, public life at an early age was so important. I mean, that I, I, one of the reasons I went to Michigan is because it was, frankly, so much closer to Toledo. I mean, I was fortunate if I applied to a number of different places and got into um, – I mean, I did – the joke I use, I was smart enough to get into Harvard and not smart enough to accept it. <laughs> to accept. But – and looking back now, it seems uh, f- foolish, but uh, at the time – Geez, you know, Boston is 17 hours away from Toledo. Ann Arbor is 45 minutes up the road. I couldn't fathom delaying my uh, involvement in uh, my community for two, three years, whatever, you know, it would take. So I I very much chose Michigan because of its proximity to Toledo. And in fact, while I was a student at Michigan, I was elected to the school board here in Toledo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just, the, 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 Fire, the passion for public service had been lit so uh, so brightly that I, you know, and again, now that I'm a little older, I look back and say, mm, you know, what's two years in the scope of a, you know, 100-year life, hopefully a 100-year life, so far a 50-year <laughs> life, but I'm hoping I'm halfway through it. But at that time, I, I didn't, didn't want to wait. So um, it was a great experience. I was a great school, learned a lot, and I think it was a good experience for me just in a lot of ways. So I, I enjoyed the city and the friendships. I was got an excellent education and uh, but but it was really more about wanting to get involved to to get involved. I mean I chose it for its location more than anything else, mm-hmm. which might not be uh the norm but you know, I, well, to quote the immortal happens. Popeye, I am what I am. So 
Well, and life kind of happens where we are. Yeah, that's right. And, that's right. and that's that, that proximity is important. And so you spoke about wanting to come back home to Toledo and begin your public service. And so living most of your life in Toledo, what are some of the important changes that you've seen in the city over time? Yeah, I, I think there there have been a lot of changes, change everywhere all the time. The only constant in life is change. There's some positive changes I can emphasize and maybe some negative ones. And so let me, I guess, start with the negative ones so I can end on the positive. You know, one of the changes over time, I mean, I'm 50 years old now. So um, over the course of my lifetime, born in 1972, one of the biggest changes with Toledo is that it has lost population. I mean, from you know, the, the census right before I was born, 1970, Toledo, uh, had, that was the highest population I ever had, 380,000 people. And so in my lifetime, we, and now we're at about 275,000 people. So we've lost about 100,000 people in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, along with that, and in fact, almost certainly directly related to that, um, is another negative change. And that is the general loss of economic power. Um, And this applies not just to Toledo, but cities, similar cities to ours in this part of the country. So what I'm saying about Toledo could be said about, uh, you know, Buffalo and Milwaukee and Flint and Grand Rapids and, you know, Fort Wayne. I do not believe it is the fault of Toledoans. In fact, I'm certain it's not. But, you know, when I was I don't know, six or seven years old in the late 70s, Toledo had nine Fortune 500 companies located within its boundaries. Now it has two. There's a few others that are still in Lucas County, but not Toledo. And then depending on how uh, wide you define the region, you know, you could sneak in a couple more. But there's no question that um, there's a loss of economic momentum. When I say it's not the fault of Toledoans, Here's what I mean. This was all due to the forces of globalization or bad trade deals, if you want, you know, NAFTA. I mean, what you can have an opinion about that, but the fact of the matter is, Houghton Elevator, Mm -hmm. uh, which was located right there on the Anthony Trail, right adjacent to the zoo, for years and years and years, um, built the uh, made the elevators that the astronauts used to. You know, go from the ground to the top of their Saturn V rocket. They're made right until that was a Fortune 500 company. The workers didn't do anything wrong, but all of a sudden tax laws and other trade deals made it possible for them to sell themselves to the Schindler Company of Germany. And so now when you go into an elevator, you look down, you see Schindler. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll say Houghton Schindler. Well, that is that is just a Toledo company being bought by a German company. Toledo Scales was an iconic uh, company that was bought out by – uh, international interests and, you know, Schindler Globe. I mean, they're just, they were, they didn't become bankrupt. They didn't, they just all of a sudden, um, being able to take American jobs and put them in third world countries. Uh, so, you know, these sort of corporate fat cats could pay pennies on the dollar for, uh, wages, hurt towns like Toledo. So I could go on and on. In fact, I probably have already gone too long on that. But those are there's undeniable. Those are negative forces. The economic shift and the population shift caused by large forces that had more to do probably with the price of the yen than anything happening in Toledo, Ohio. But it has negatively hurt Toledo. However, 
I've noticed some real positive changes also in Toledo, and I could list – it would take me longer to list them than the negatives. I'm just going to emphasize one because I know I'm long-winded as always. I believe in my lifetime, um, even as these forces, negative forces, have evolved, as I talked about, I have noticed a palpable, tangible improvement in c- civic pride. In other words um, – there was a time – they, sometimes Toledoans can be their own worst um, critics. And for whatever reason, Toledo has had the uh, – been on the wrong side of popular culture cues for a long time. The MASH is still to this day the most popular television program in the history of America. I, I, I don't think there are even very many Super Bowls that are, are, were more watched than the final episode of MASH. Huge reach for that show. And there was a character from Toledo – on it. Was he a heroic, dashingly handsome uh, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen? No, he was the, he was Klinger, you know, and it's a little small thing, but that sends a little signal to Toledoans, like, see, your, your town's a little funny. Your town is a joke. You're t-. Around that time, John Denver, whom probably some of the listeners of your podcast have never heard of, but was super, I mean, was, I think the number two songwriter of the 1970s in terms of he wrote a very popular song entitled Saturday Night in Toledo, Ohio. I won't sing it, but I can tell you that the, it began as Saturday Night in Toledo, Ohio is like being nowhere at all, all through the day, how the hours drift by, you sit in the park and you watch the grass die. In other words, not a very flattering portrait of Toledo. And so... No, it isn't. There are... <laughs> and actually, when he would come to Toledo to perform it, uh-huh. he would get huge standing ovations. <laughs> so we, you know, we have a good sense of humor about ourselves, but to an older Toledo, and maybe one who remembers the heyday of the 50s and 60s before the forces, there is a cynicism and a... um, There was a negativity about Toledo. I I will say this. One of the positive things... Now, the folks making decisions in this town, you know, millennials and younger, they've never seen an episode of MASH. (laughs) They couldn't pick John Denver out of a lineup. And so all of... Some of those negative stereotypes of the past means nothing to them. They see Toledo for what it is, and that is a wonderful mid-sized city with world-class amenities. We have one of the best zoos in the country, one of the best museums in the country, one of the, in fact, the number one park system in the country. And we have all of that in an environment where the average price of a home in Toledo is one-tenth of what it is in Los Angeles and one-ninth of what it is in New York and one-eighth of what it is in Boston. And so you can have some wonderful, affordable, uh, you know, Midwestern charm kind of experiences mm-hmm. with world-class amenities. And there is, an, especially among younger Toledoans, a real boost I have noticed of Pride, the whole you'll do better in Toledo mm-hmm. t-shirt renaissance. I mean, there, that is a new thing in Toledo, and I think it's a positive one. I could list many more things, but I'm already over time. So that is wonderful. That's good and bad I gave you. It's wonderful, and it speaks a lot to the trajectory and some of what we've been talking about. Director Clemens, you clearly are not a native of Toledo. You talked about um, being able to take the bus to University of Maryland College Park. And so what drew you here? I'm from the East Coast, you know, very wealthy when you compare it to the city of Toledo and, and um, other Rust Belt cities that, that the mayor is talking about in terms of economic decline. 
when I graduated from grad school, I started working for local government, and mm -hmm. I've always worked for local government, beginning with Loudoun County, which is one of the richest counties in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I've always worked on the East Coast, where there's wealth, where there's uh, uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've worked in the space of, of again, housing and community development. Mm -hmm. And um, what struck me about Toledo, I worked uh, with Prince George's County, Maryland for almost 25 years, uh, which has the, the fame of being the wealthiest African-American mm -hmm. community in the entire country. So despite its challenges in the Washington region, I was from an environment where uh, African-Americans were empowered. They lived in million-dollar homes. They had million-dollar businesses. They were doing well and, uh, and all of that. So I, I was contemplating retirement, and I heard about this job, and I, um, I drove up here. Mm -hmm. And what I saw, um, Mayor talks about the, the, the world-class amenities that we have, the parks, the, the, the zoo, but what I saw were the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. What I saw were the neighborhoods and the decline in the neighborhoods that, that have resulted from all the economic globalization challenges that we've had. What I saw were the neighborhoods and the neighborhoods where people like me lived. Mm -hmm. um, you, you look at the assets, you look at the water that we have, you look at the schools, you look at, again, the, the parks. What people see, what my children see and what people see when they come to Toledo are these neighborhoods are these neighborhoods. I, I was challenged because I have such passion for this work. I was challenged and I, I said to myself, if you can do housing and, and, and economic development in a rich place like the East Coast, mm -hmm. okay, you can do it. But if you can do it here in Toledo that has all of these, these issues and challenge but still has all of these opportunities, and mm -hmm. then maybe you know, you know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> So for me, it was a it was a challenge. You know, mm -hmm. it was a challenge. It was uh, um, everything that you've learned today. Um, bring it here. Bring mm -hmm. it to Toledo, and try to make make a difference here. That was what I saw, and um, I saw the problems, but I also saw the huge opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what makes the job so exciting. It's 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 you have a. You have a city of spirited people, people that love this community, people that have withstood over the years the tremendous. I never saw a Toledo, the, the department store that the mayor is talking about. I never, somebody told me there was a time that downtown was crowded, people went shopping, and I'm like, okay, where? <laughs> like, I, I believe you. I, I believe you, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine it. But I, I still see the old buildings. I still see the water. I still see these wonderful old houses that are now distressed. And, 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 and I, I said to myself, you know, this is an opportunity here. So my, um, my personal mandate is deploying all that I know to, to make a difference in what I see as a wonderful city. Uh, Mayor mentioned the housing, the housing here. Despite the fact you have old housing, distressed housing. I bought a house in Old Orchard, a wonderful neighborhood. I could have never afforded such a home. Mm -hmm. It would have been three times the cost. Easily. So the city offers um, so much. And, and I, I, I tell children, I tell millennials, I tell young people, most of them, a good number of them, can work anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm, a, I'm an ambassador for, for, for millennials that say, look, 
You don't need to stay. You you can you work from home. You don't need to buy a house that's eight hundred thousand dollars. You can get the same house in Toledo for two hundred and fifty thousand. Wonderful opportunity. Yep. It's an opportunity to build wealth, and it's an opportunity to help to build a city mm -hmm. uh, and to help a city rebound. And I, I think that's what, I know that's what drives me, because mm -hmm. it's, it's just a wonderful place and wonderful opportunity here. It really is. And, and so I'm not native to Toledo. I grew up in Detroit. But what Toledo has represented for me is opportunity. What yeah. Ohio has represented is opportunity. I came here to go to school. Left, went other places, went out east, and you know to you know finish my schooling, and you know ended up back here. Yeah. And so you know the whole you'll do better in Toledo and the opportunities, all of that very much resonates. And for me, it's it's always been centered around education, either mm -hmm. for me personally or as a career or for others. And that's a part of why the three of us are here today in terms of education. Some of Owen's history uh, throughout the region, you know, our mission is, you know, centered around education and economic development and providing opportunity. Um, and being that Toledo, Lucas County is part of our legal service district, part of what we have to do is always reflect as an institution and say, are we doing the best we can by our mission? and by serving everyone in our service district. Mm -hmm. And we know that economic opportunity, upward mobility, the socioeconomic mobility mm -hmm. that you've talked about, living your passion and your dreams that you've talked about, Mayor Kapsikavich, all of that is tied to education. And that's why we're doing the feasibility study mm -hmm. um, that, that the city of Toledo has very generously helped defray the costs of. And I really believe that Whatever the results are, is going to be very rich for all of us um, to learn more about the city and about the people in the city. But it's helping us with a student-centered, data-informed approach to mm -hmm. education and how do we eliminate education deserts and identify them, things of that nature. So could you talk about why? That's a priority. And Director Clemens, this conversation really started with, with you and I. Yeah, I, I, think, I think education is important, but the type of education... And I think that's so critical. It's, it's as, as you do this study and you talk to major employers, what is the nature of that education that gives people access mm -hmm. to jobs? What is the nature? I always use this example of the, of the research triangle area, mm -hmm. Durham, RDU area. When the cotton mills and the, the clothing manufacturers started leaving or mm -hmm. left, left that area, the community college system retooled itself, retooled itself, and, and it's now focused on medical, mm -hmm. you know, biomedical, medical, to, to uh, align itself with the, the Duke and the, the, the Duke University, Chapel mm -hmm. Hill, and the, the major employers and what they were doing. So I think it's really critical as you do this feasibility study, what are the, what are the key competencies that a student would need to access those jobs that are indeed available, mm -hmm. okay? Sure, the economy has, has shrunk because of globalization, but we still have, we still have people that are uh, manufacturers. We mm -hmm. still have companies that are here. How are we retooling the curriculum, and how are we retooling the certifications that are offered so that people that want a path out of poverty mm -hmm. can can get that path. The other issue is physical access, as you know. Can those individuals that live in these neighborhoods that do need training and mm -hmm. do need the, the education, 
is it easy for them to access? And I think, I think that's why I'm very happy that you, one of the things of this study is looking at um, enrollment deserts. I, I know eventually you're also going to look at um, how you deliver the type of curriculum, whether it's a new facility or whether it's a hybrid mm -hmm. model of, of online courses or, or whatever. I think it's an issue of what's the nature of the education, mm -hmm. how does it align with the economic demands in the mm -hmm. area, and then how is the population that needs that education, how is, how is it accessed? Absolutely. As mayor, I have a unique perspective on the challenges that my city faces, or really any city, when I talk to my colleagues around the country. And cities face a lot of challenges, mm -hmm. um, you know, cr crime, the reality of it or the perception of it, infrastructure decline, you know, we joke about potholes, you know, but they, in this part of the country, they are everywhere. You could stack all of the challenges our city faces on, on a big list, and at the top of that list, by a wide margin, is workforce development. Mm -hmm. That is the number one challenge that cities in America are facing right now, and you hear it everywhere you go. Every employer you talk to, mm -hmm. whether it's the Brian Chambers, the CEO of Owens Corning, or whether it's, you know, mom and pop candle maker and, you know, in a little storefront in East Toledo, none of them are worried that no one wants to buy their widget. Sometimes our economy is set up that way, and that's a whole other series of worries. No, that's not what's going on. They know that they can sell their widget. There's a market for their widget. People want to buy their widget. They're worried they can't find the talented people to make their widget, get the widget to market, et cetera. That is not unique, but that is rare in the American economy. What we are seeing in this economy is um, a desperate lack of workers, and it's everywhere. It's a big deal. And in that environment, against that backdrop, places like Owens, in particular, the community college networks in general, have a real role to play to provide that tangible, hands-on, real-world experience that's so needed. And and I look. I was educated, you know, the liberal arts perspective, and and there's a value to that. And if you want to go study 17th century Dutch poetry, good for you. There aren't as many jobs for 17th century Dutch poets, <laughs> but there are a heck of a lot of jobs um, for folks who can work with their hands and, you know, medical techs and nurses and, and just it's, it's the list is endless. And, and one of my worries about our country is that we can produce the highest quality products in the world, but not everyone can get them. We, I, don't, I don't think there's anyone who would say that the that our health care in this country isn't the best on the planet. But yet we rank near the bottom of all industrialized countries in terms of low birth weight and life expectancy. Why? It's not because of the quality of it, because not everyone can get it. We have, likewise, the highest quality, I think, higher education system in the world. You look at the standard campus anywhere in this country, and you have students from all over the world. They all come here, but not everyone can get it. And I am worried that we're pricing the middle class out of college in general. And that's a little bit of a soapbox, but it makes what you're doing here at Owens just crucial to the economic health of our region and, and to our country. We need right now today, this country needs eighty thousand truck drivers. Mm -hmm. Eighty thousand. I'm all for hanging out at the coffee shop trying to invent the next Google. Cool, <laughs> but not everyone can do that. Meanwhile, you can make a hundred and twenty thousand dollars by the age of thirty. 
doing working with your hands <laughs> and, and and I I don't know I just this isn't very eloquent I just know that the need for what Owens offers is real mm-hmm. and um, that's why we are, are glad you're here and certain that you're going to succeed. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, for us, it's about, you know, providing that diversity of opportunity, you know, for students who do want to transfer on and, and study mid-century Dutch poetry or students who do want to, you know, yeah. have their CDL or whatever. I just invented that major. Uh, well, it, I'm sure it exists. <laughs> um, because I think it, it's about everyone because there's, you know, when you think about even your own stories, you know, either being um, child of educators or child of a nurse and, you know, you, you, you found your way and your passion um, because education was available to you and it, it led you to the lives that you have now. But we're, we're not doing anyone any favors by force feeding them into a four-year meat grinder only to have them come out at the end of that with, you know, $170,000 mm-hmm. of debt. That, mm-hmm. that doesn't help anyone i think though i think also there has to be and to some extent i think the public schools are now recognizing that there was a time when you had within public school systems you Mm -hmm. had you had vocational schools Mm -hmm. where you could learn brick making you could learn plumbing you could learn um technical skills Mm -hmm. and at some point that shifted and started feeding everybody into college Mm -hmm. i think now the the recognition is that not everybody should go to college. Well, it's not one size fit all. Exactly. So I think to the extent that we can, uh, your partnerships with, with the public school system, to mm-hmm. the extent that we can kind of rethink that paradigm, that you can be a CDL driver and make mm-hmm. $100,000 a year. But if, if your guidance counselor keeps telling you, well, you got to practice on your college essays and you got to score mm-hmm. a certain amount on the SAT to get into your reach school, mm-hmm. you're not going to consider that. So there's right. got to be a change in, in how we educate and how we, how we push our students right. to vocational education. Well, and it, it really is about letting people find their path and letting them be themselves and providing them opportunities because, you know, you may have someone who wants one thing and someone who wants something else. And, you know, what we do, you know, we have a lot of our students who are in um, our applied programs and our trades and healthcare and uh, skilled trades, advanced manufacturing. And we also have a lot who are in our transfer programs. And so I think for students to be able to have both of those so that you can have someone who, who finds their way, whatever it is, if it is, you know, being um, an HVAC technician or if it is to, you know, transfer because they, you know, believe there's something else they want to do or they're in a program and while they're in it realize that there's something different that they want to do that all of that is acceptable all of it is and that we have we have many needs throughout our economy for for a lot of it and I think that that partnership is hugely important and I think you know as we as we begin to wrap up our conversation, I mean, some of the biggest partnerships we have with the city of Toledo are in our Center for Emergency Preparedness with the police and the fire department. There's an incredibly important program that you have, Director Clemens, the rooftop repair program. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of things that, that it is that we do together, you know, in terms of providing technicians as well as emergency responders and all of that. That's a huge part of what it is that our entities are, are able to accomplish well, together. Well, I'd like to make a pitch for for this whole issue of the, the trade, mm-hmm. the need, the need for carpenters, the, the mm-hmm. need for uh, HVAC, the need for ciders. We have 
such a shortage. Mm -hmm. And we've got old housing. Uh, we have the rooftops program. Uh, we've got over 200 homes in the pipeline that we're repairing roofs because the, the premise is that if you wait for the house to decline, you're going to you're going to spend 60 grand or 70 grand to rehab that house. But if you catch the roof on time, you'll spend 20,000. So we are pivoting our money and focusing on roof repairs. But even as we do this, it's, a, it's tough. We can't find contractors that we need mm -hmm. to do our roof work, to do our lead remediation work, because the, the older seasoned craftsmen are you know, getting old. The young people don't want to go into construction. Mm -hmm. So it is a national problem. It is. It's a national problem that this issue of vocational skills and trades is a national problem that we have. And um, to the extent that the community colleges can help us mm -hmm. with this, we are, we're saying that this is a huge need. Mm -hmm. I can't find contractors to do my work on a timely basis. I've got a small stable of contractors. We've tried different strategies, and the contractors will tell you, I can't find young people to work. They don't want to come into this field. They want to do something else. They want to do marketing or whatever. They don't want to do vocational, and we and we need those skills. So how you, you know, how you retool, how you market, it, uh, it supports our work, and we we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's an important partnership yeah. for us. Mayor Kapsikavich? Yeah. The, you mentioned two great examples of uh, our partnership, and that is the facilities that are provided to our police officers and our firefighters. This is where they train. Their academies are here. I, I can't imagine there being better facilities at, uh, I, than you have here on campus, in particular Firefighter, I mean, you know, they require training on, you know, eight-story, uh, you know, fighting fires in an eight-story building to more confined spaces. I mean, it's amazing what what is here on this campus. And I uh, joke that before, um, whenever their contract comes up for renegotiation, they should make uh, the mayor and city council do a day of training, uh, out here. <laughs> and then there would be no doubt that uh, they would get, you know, get, um, no. So, I mean, that's, uh, but there are other opportunities for partnership. And again, it goes, you know, right back in some ways to the founding of both entities, you know, in the person of Michael Owens or the shared history of him as an innovator in the glass industry and in some ways coming full circle now to an institution in Owens that is trying to, you know, provide the training ground for the next generation of innovators, tinkerers, builders, doers. Um, yeah, we are we are linked at the hip. We we virtually share the same name, um, <laughs> uh, and um, we just look forward to growing the partnership going forward. Likewise, well, fewer things give me joy in a day. Um, Chief Armstrong of Toledo Fire and Rescue, of course, is an Owens alum. She yes. received her nursing degree here. And um, I have the privilege of her letting me ask uh, silly questions about <laughs> fire safety and what's actually real on television versus what we see. And so I've learned a lot from her, um, you know, in that alone. Um, but Director Clemens, Mayor Kapsikavich, thank you so much for thank being with for us today. Thank you for the invite. Keep, keep up the great work. Continuing the work. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. For 
Mayor Wade Kapsikavich and Director Rosalind Clemens, thank you both for being here with us today. You're both such an inspiration. Your vision, commitment, and your efforts on behalf of the city of Toledo and the region are amazing. We're grateful for your lives of service to this community. We are also grateful to you both for your support of Owens and for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe and join us for future conversations. Until then, take care.